Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We are focusing a little bit on our missions conference and our missions emphasis Sunday next week. And of course, our entire theme for this year is each one reach one. Our responsibility as Christians is to win souls for Jesus Christ. Uh, one Sunday morning, a mother went to wake her son up to tell him that it was time to get ready for church. And he said, I'm not going. She said, well, why not? He said, well, I'll give you two good reasons. Number one, they don't like me. And number two, I don't like them. She said, well, I'll give you two good reasons why you should go to church. Number one, you're 54. And number two, you're the pastor. <laughs> I'm here. Believe it or not, nobody had to drag me out of bed to come to church this morning. I'm excited to be able to open up the word of God and to share with you what God has for us this morning. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Maybe you've not heard of all of these men, but what is it that made men like William Borden? You ever heard of the Borden Milk Company? William Borden was an heir to a throne of wealth. And yet, at a very young age, he left it all behind to give himself to the cause of Christ, only to die at the age of 25 on his way to the mission field. What is it that made men like William Carey give up a life of ease in America to go to India and suffer among the natives there to share the gospel with them in an age when foreign missions was a foreign concept? What is it that made Adoniram Judson leave the world as he, know, as he knew it to go and spread the message of the gospel in Burma and to work there for seven long years before he even saw his first convert to Christianity, to bury wives and to bury children in that land and serve for the cause of Christ. Men like David Livingston, who after he suffered attacks from lions and other hardships that he dealt with over in Africa, shared the gospel with those people in Africa and on his death, he asked that his heart be buried in Africa. What is it that made men do that? Countless thousands of others, even millions, have given their lives in service for Christ. Why? What would make them do such a thing? I can tell you, number one, an intense love for Jesus Christ would cause you to be willing to do something like that. But, but I think there are several other things that motivated them towards service for God. And there are several other things that I think made them do what they did for Jesus Christ. Turn over to John chapter 4. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to come back in just a couple minutes. But I want you to see, and this is kind of a, a parallel passage, if you will, in John chapter 4 and verse number 35, it says this, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, Already to harvest. We can accomplish great things for Jesus Christ if we emulate what so many great men and women did in their service to Christ. And I want to challenge you this morning from the phrase in John chapter 4 and verse 35 look on the fields. Look on the fields. Let's pray. And then we'll look at this idea this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the time that we can spend together here in your word. I pray that you give us exactly what we need. I pray that we'd be challenged to do more for you 
God, I pray that you'd give us a heart not only for the mission field, but for our mission field right here, right next door in our neighborhood, in this community. This is our mission field. I pray that you give us a great burden for these people that are here. And God, that you might use that to help us win people for Christ. Pray that you bless the message this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, if we're going to be used by Christ, if we're going to look on the fields, we have to have a view of the harvest. We have to have a view of the harvest. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 9. I think one of the keys here is to have exactly what Jesus had, and that is that we have to have the compassion of Jesus Christ. More than once, many times, in fact, in the, in the Gospels, we see exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 about Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they, were at, because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The, smite, the, the sight smote more than just his eyes. It smote his heart. He had compassion. He was moved with compassion on them. They were scattered abroad. They had no direction without the shepherd to guide them. He's the great shepherd. No wonder he had a desire to see them be led by the shepherd. But what a burden he had. Christ, by his example, I think, is teaching us three things in this passage. Christ is teaching us how to look at men. We don't, we don't have to judge them. Jesus, if anybody, knew what every single one of those people had in their hearts. Right? Didn't he, didn't he do that with the woman at the well when he went and she said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you know what I'm talking about. You have, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. You're living in sin. He knew what that lady's heart was all about. He, knew, he knows everybody's heart. And yet Jesus looked at the multitudes and he was moved with compassion on them. He's teaching us how to look at men. We don't have to judge them. He's trying to teach us how to feel when we see those men. Look, there are people all around us that are dying without Jesus Christ, especially in an age today when people don't really care about church, when they don't really care about Christianity, when they don't care about what Jesus Christ did for them. And many of them don't even know, honestly, because we failed in our mission to get the gospel out to them. But when we go and see those people and we have the compassion that Jesus Christ had on them, he's trying to show us how to feel when we see those people. We should be moved with compassion toward them. But he's also trying to teach us what to do with that feeling. He was moved with compassion on them because they, had a, they fainted and were scattered abroad as a, as a sheep having no shepherd. And what does the Bible say? I mentioned it already earlier this morning. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. There's a story told about Napoleon during the invasion of Russia. And he somehow got separated from his men. He was, he was spotted by the enemy, the Russian Cossacks. And so he was running through this town and they chased him through the winding streets. And finally he burst in through the door of a furrier's shop. And that furrier was surprised, obviously, to see him standing there. But Napoleon, half out of breath and just doing everything he could because these men were chasing him, said, give me some place to hide. And so this furrier had a big pile of furs in the corner, and he said, here, quick, get underneath this big pile of furs. And no sooner had he crawled in there, and they put those furs back over the top of him that these Russian Cossacks burst in through the door. And they demanded that this furrier give up Napoleon. And this furrier said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, we saw him come in here. He said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they started to tear that place up. They took their swords on the ends of their, on the ends of their guns, and they stabbed them into that pile of furs. And satisfied that Napoleon was not there, they left. After a couple of minutes, Napoleon crawled out from underneath that pile of furs, and obviously his life had been saved, and 
Napoleon, just before he left, this furrier asked him, he said, excuse me, sir, for asking the question of such a great man. Obviously, he recognized who Napoleon was. He said, but what was it like to be under those furs knowing that any of those moments could be your last? Without a moment of hesitation, Napoleon, he said, how dare you ask such a question of the emperor Napoleon? And he told the men that had finally come that were with him, bind this man up and put a blindfold on his face. So they did exactly that. The furrier was dragged out of the shop and blindfolded. He was placed against the wall of the shop, and he couldn't see anything, but he could hear all the commotion and the guards shuffling in line and preparing their rifles. And then he heard Napoleon call out, Ready! Aim! And at that moment, Napoleon ripped that blindfold off of him, and he said, Now you know how it feels when any moment could be your last. And see, I think that's what happens so often. The lesson here is pretty obvious. How can you describe what it is to have compassion? You cannot describe it. You just have to feel it for yourself. You just have to experience it for yourself. Compassion cannot be explained. It has to be experienced. Compassion towards souls is one of the most Christ-like things that we can do on this earth. Over and over and over in the Bible, we're told that Christ was moved with compassion. Jude 22 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. You see, when we show that compassion, we're made partners with Christ. We have to have the compassion of Christ, but, but we also have to realize that the fields are ripe and that they're ready. Turn back over to John chapter 4. I want you to get a mental picture here this morning. The Bible says in John chapter 4, in verse 35, we read it already, but he says this, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. In other words, we can just kind of wait around. We'll wait around for the fields to get ripe. Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. People are out there wondering about their souls. People are out there wondering what's going to happen with their eternal destiny. People want to know where they're going to go when they die. That's a white harvest. That's a field that's ready to be reaped. And Jesus says, get out there. Look on the fields. Look at it. If you just get this, uh, this mental picture in your mind, you can see it yourself. There are millions of people dying every single day. Mexico, there's 129 million people in Mexico. 3% claim Christianity. 3%. Almost 83% of the citizens of Mexico are Catholic. Canada, there's almost 38 million people in Canada. 2.4% of them are Baptist, 2%, 43% Catholics. Islam's outnumber Baptists, and they claim the top spot in Canada as the fastest-growing religion. Time doesn't permit us to look at other places like China and Japan and all of Africa and Asia and so many other countries that are in desperate need of Christ, but in the Christian United States alone, there are over 331 million people. Do you know that in America, only 48.7% of people claim any type of Christianity? 48%. A full 18% of the population of America claims to not have any religion at all. And do you know what the number one, the fastest growing religion in the United States is right now? Islam. In the Christian United States of America. At the same time, we're seeing a dearth in laborers. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, in fact, turn over there with me if you will. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 2, therefore saith he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. They're few in service. There's not a lot of people that are out there knocking on doors anymore. 
not a lot of people that are out there being evangelistic anymore. There's not a lot of people that are sharing the gospel anymore. I mentioned this, but I've talked to several officers that I work with <clears throat> and some that are Christians. And we got to talking about this idea of evangelism. He said, you know what? He said, I'm starting to think that I'm missing something here. He said, I've been in, this, I've been in the church most of my whole life. He said, I've preached messages. I worked with the teens and everything else. But he said, honestly, I don't know if I've ever won a soul to Jesus Christ. I've certainly never been out knocking on doors. This idea is all new to me. How do you have a church that is supposed to be a lighthouse, that is supposed to be by the command of Jesus Christ, getting the message of the gospel out into our community and never having gone out and knocked on doors, never having gone out into their community to give out the gospel? Amen. That's what our job is as Christians. And yet the laborers are few. I know I've told you this story before, at least I think I have. If I have, then humor me for a minute. But two robins were sitting in a tree. And one of them said, I'm really hungry. The other one said, you know what? I am too. And they said, let's go down to the ground and pick some worms. And so they both flew down to the ground and they started eating those worms. And I tell you, one of them looked at the other one and he said, we're eating a whole lot of these worms. We're getting fat. We better stop. And the other one said, ah, but they're so good and there's so many of them. You got to take them while you can get them. So they ate and ate and ate, and finally they, they, got, they got so filled up with those worms, they said, you know what, the sun's out, this is beautiful, you know, we're a couple robins sitting here on the ground, what's going to happen to us? Let's just sit here, we'll, we'll relax in the sun for a little while, when the meal's kind of burned off a little bit, then we can fly back up to the tree, get on with our business. And they were sitting there, and sure enough, a cat came along and saw those robins sitting there, and... Uh, no sooner had those robins fallen asleep than the cat pounced in there and ate both of those robins up. And as he sat there washing his face after the meal, he said, boy, I sure do love Baskin Robbins. <laughs> I'll give you a second if it takes a minute. But see, the thing is, that's the way a lot of Christians are. We're gonna, we'll sit in church. We'll be involved in coming to church every Sunday. We'll soak in and take in everything of God's word that we can take in. But then instead of getting out and doing something with it, we decide that we're just going to bask in God's word, bask in everything that we've been given. And the enemy is going to come along, and we're going to be eaten up by that enemy. And you know why? Because our job as Christians, our command as Christians is to get out there and to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that the devil can't come and tempt you. It doesn't mean that you can't sin when you're out there knocking on doors and, and that the devil is not going to try to attack you the way that he attacks everybody else. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless because you get out and knock on doors. But I tell you what, when your burden and your desire and your goal is to see other people come to Jesus Christ, you're going to have a whole lot better time of getting out there and pushing off the tempter because you're working to do something for Jesus Christ. There's a few in service, the Bible says, but the second half of Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. There's few in service, but there's few in supplication. That's one of the reasons why we're putting such an emphasis on trying to pray for these people every single day that we're trying to win for Jesus Christ. You have a list of five, some, most of you have five, some of you have a little bit less than that, and I understand, but you have a list of people that you're working on trying to get to Jesus Christ. You ought to be praying for those people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus says that, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Pray that God would call more people into the ministry. Pray that God would use these young men and these young ladies that we have in our church to go out and do something for Jesus Christ. 
To look on the fields, we have to have a view of the harvest, but also we have to have a vision of the heart. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. We don't think of the book of Proverbs as being a book of prophecy, but I think this is very prophetic in its approach. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I think we can look at that in a couple different ways. We can say, number one, that the people who have no vision are going to perish. But number two, the people that they should be reaching are going to perish without Jesus Christ. The church used to be vibrant. On the sign out in the front, they had a verse that said, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And they used to go out and knock on doors. They used to go out winning souls. But they got fat in their Christianity. They got busy. They stopped knocking on doors. They stopped telling other people about Jesus Christ. The church and the people got old. And they didn't replace it with younger people because nobody was being won to Christ. And that church closed its doors. And you can go by that church. And that sign is still out there even though it's a whole lot more ragged than it used to be. That beautiful sign is all worn down. The W has fallen off the sign. And now it says, here, there is no vision. The people perish. Boy, what a sad thing to have a church that used to be vibrant, that used to be winning souls for Jesus Christ, that has no vision. And now the, the church is gone. The people are perishing around them because there is no lighthouse anymore. We have to see the need around us. When we lose the vision for souls, we lose the reason for why we are here on this earth. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I say it often, but if Jesus Christ only came to save us, he would have taken us to heaven the moment we got saved. He has a job for us to do once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and that's to take as many people with us as we can. They're not, you know, God didn't call us to nice grass and a fat bank account and uh, life of ease. They're not bad, but they can become hindrances to us because we get so focused on those things that we lose the focus on what's the most important. He's called us to spread the message of the gospel and to win souls. A godly vision is what drives us to win souls, to see others around us in their pain and in their need for Jesus Christ. The story is told that on a cold winter Sunday morning, the parking lot of the church was starting to fill up. Church members were whispering among themselves as they walked into the church because there sitting at the back door was an old homeless beggar. He was wearing tattered pants and he had a, it was cold outside. He had a big heavy winter coat on, but it didn't look like it was even sufficient enough to block the wind out. But he was sitting back there in this tattered coat and he kind of had his hat pulled down over his eyes and, well... People just didn't really feel the need to say anything to him, wondered who he was, and so they walked in right past him, and they stood around talking about this man that was outside of their church building. They gathered in the parlor. They fellowshiped for a few minutes. They talked, you know, gossip about this man that was lying outside. Even some, should we tell him to leave? I mean, what happens if we have visitors that come in, and here's this old homeless guy sitting outside the back door? Well, they decided not to do anything about it. They didn't even, they didn't even bring this man a cup of coffee or anything, and as the service began, the congregation all herded into the sanctuary and waited for the singing, and then they saw the church doors open in the back. Shuffling up that aisle 
was that homeless beggar. He walked all the way up to the front. And he actually made a beeline for the pulpit. And he stood behind that pulpit and he took off his coat and hat. And there stood their pastor. And he got up there that morning and he said, folks, I don't have to tell you what I'm preaching about today. You see, we need to get a vision of that soul spending an eternity in hell. We need to have pity, not aversion. We need to have pity, not anger. We need to have pity, not curiosity. We need to have pity, not indifference. How often do we pass by so many people in this community and we don't even feel anything for them? The majority of people in this area do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and yet we pass thousands of cars every single day. Most of them having not known Jesus Christ as their Savior. Does that not do anything to your soul? Does that not give you any kind of compassion for them? I stand here sometimes and I look out the window and I just see car after car after car after car turning to get on 288. And my heart breaks because most of those people probably do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they don't even care. And if they die in their sin, they're going to die and they're going to spend an eternity in hell. And the only way that they're going to be one for Jesus Christ is if we get a vision in our hearts to see those people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The dew of compassion is a tear. When is the last time that you shed a tear over the person that you were praying for that you knew was on their way to hell? Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for my people. My head a fountain? When's the last time that your eyes were a fountain because you were weeping over the people that you knew were not saved? Paul said the same thing in, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I could wish myself were a curse from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We memorized those verses a few months ago. Psalm 126 and verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Oh, we need to have a burden, and that burden ought to translate itself into a desire in our hearts to see those people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We'd much rather miss Saturday visitation than miss one episode of our show. Oh, we have, you know, we'll come up with a thousand excuses why we can't be at visitation or why we can't give out a track, and yet we'll come up with a thousand excuses why we have to get home to watch the big game, whatever that happens to be. We know all the stats about all the baseball players and basketball players, but we know nothing of how to win a soul, even if they came and asked us to tell them how to be saved. We've lost our vision, and yet, like Saul, we can be found among the stuff. That's the problem with American Christianity is we've gotten so wrapped up in our stuff that we're losing our vision. God may be calling you, but you're hiding behind a successful career, or you're hiding behind your home or your family circle. You might be hiding behind your church because you feel secure there. Oh, that we could get a vision like the Apostle Paul and like Jeremiah and like David. So much more could be done for Christ if we didn't care who got the credit.
John chapter 4, and you don't have to turn over there, I'll read it to you, says this in verse number 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. See, the thing is, most people don't want to tell people about Christ, because a lot of people are not going to get saved on the very first time that you tell them. And well, if I can't get them saved and get them into our church, then it ain't worth it. That's not what it's about. And that's why I've been pushing this and emphasizing this so much this year. Getting somebody to church is fine, but that's not witnessing. Getting them to Christ is witnessing. Telling them how they can be saved is what our responsibility is as Christians. And if that means that I have to tell 10,000 people who never get saved but a thousand of those get saved because somebody else followed up and saw them get saved and I had already planted the seed, then that's great. That's my job. I've done my job. Amen. God didn't tell us to win them. He told us to tell them. Amen. That's their responsibility to decide whether they're going to accept or reject Christ. My responsibility is to tell them. Amen. And if that means that I tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them and then they go somewhere else and get saved, great. That's what our job is. We're co-laborers to get people to Jesus Christ. Amen. We have to do something about it. Tell your neighbor about Christ. Tell your coworker about Christ. Get involved in a ministry. Come out on Saturday visitation. I know you're tired. So are we all. But only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. An old Chinese proverb said, if your vision is for a year, plant wheat. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. But if your vision is for a lifetime plant people. To look on the fields, we have to have a view of the harvest. We have to have a vision of the heart. But lastly, here's what comes of that. Turn over to Isaiah 55. We'll have victory in the Holy Spirit. If God is telling us to do it, don't you think he'll bless it? The Bible says in Isaiah 55 in verse number 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing we, whereto I sent it. That's one of the reasons why, Brother John mentioned this yesterday, we were talking, that's one of the reasons why we put the gospel on the back of every piece of literature that we hand out. Amen. Because I don't know where that piece of literature is going to end up, but you know what? It's got the gospel on it, and somebody might read it. And God says that his word is not going to return void. It's not the things that I say that leads somebody to Christ. It's what the Bible says that leads somebody to Christ. The word of God is what brings conviction in their hearts. His word's not going to return void. So you know what that means? Get it out there. Share it with other people. Let them know what the Bible says about where they're going to spend eternity if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're not necessarily responsible for how many souls we win, but for how many souls we tell about Jesus Christ and how well we do with the job that God's called us to do. We're often so worried about so many other things that it doesn't matter to us what God says. We're so worried about so many other things that God can't even bless us because our focus is not where it belongs. You know Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 pretty well. But God says that he'll go with us. If we go... He's going with us. He'll give us his power. But ye shall receive power, he says. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses for me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know what Jerusalem is? That's their home. That's where they lived. 
This is our Jerusalem. Judea was the neighboring city right around there. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our job. That's our responsibility. But he's going to give us power to go to those places. He covers that embarrassment. He covers that shyness. He covers our own inadequacies. He covers our own inability. He gives us his power. And that's a promise. He's promised that he'll do that for us. He'll give us his presence. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 31 says this. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When we obey him, and we go out and spread the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit goes with us. And he gives us the power. He gives us the victory. He gives us the strength to tell those souls who need Jesus Christ how to be saved. I'm shy by nature. You'd never guess that because I get up here all the time. But I am not thrilled to go knock on somebody's door that I've never met and talk to them about their soul. But you know what? The more you do it, the easier it gets. Right? The first time Brother John pulled somebody over to give him a ticket, he couldn't even make himself do it. Now, he gives every person he rides, he pulls over five tickets. The more you do it, the more used to it you get. But it's the same. It's true of witnessing. Oh, I don't know. How, what would I say? You know what you say? Here's what Christ did for me. This is what he can do for you. Amen. And then you start to read your Bible. And then you start to study your Bible. And the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you tell others, the easier it becomes and the more exciting it becomes to tell other people how they too can be saved. John Wesley said, do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the souls you can at all the times you can with all the zeal you can as long as you possibly can. An old man was walking on the beach one day and he noticed that a young boy was picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. And he started looking down that beach. I mean, there were starfish everywhere on that beach that had been washed up in the tide. And this young man, I mean, the, this beach stretched forever, and this young man seemed like he had just an endless job in front of him. And that old man was just kind of walking by. He was out there for a stroll on the beach, and he passed that young man, and he stopped for a second. He watched this young boy picking these things up and throwing them back in. He said, young man, there's a whole lot of starfish. So you'll never be able to get all those starfish picked up and thrown back into the ocean. How can you make a difference on such a huge shoreline like this? And that young man, without really missing a beat, bent over and picked up another starfish, and he flung it back into the ocean, and he said, I made a difference to that one. And boy, I tell you what, we may not be able to reach the entire world. There's almost 8 billion people in this world. I can never go to all 8 billion of those people, but I can win one. Amen. And you can win one. We can all have an impact on somebody. God's not called everyone to go to the mission field. I understand that. But with a need as great as it is today, there are some who are obviously not fulfilling the call that God has given them. Maybe God's not called anybody in this church to the mission field. I, I don't want to see anybody go to the mission field. I don't want to lose anybody here. But if that's what God's called you to do, then that's, that's where you need to be. 
But beyond that, every one of us are to be missionaries. Because even if God's not called you to go to a foreign field, he has called you here. He's got you living in this area at this time for a reason. And it's not so you can have a beautiful house and a nice car, 2.3 beautiful children, and all of these other things. He's called you right here because he's got a job for you to do in this area. He's put a neighbor next door to your house, knowing that you're a Christian, so you could tell them how to be saved. He's put people across the street from you that he wants you to be a witness to. He puts you in a neighborhood where there are many, many other people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, so you could be the missionary to that neighborhood. Oh, I could never be a missionary. You are. You're just a bad one if you're not telling other people about Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether or not you're called to a foreign field, your missionary is right here. Your responsibility is to win those that God has put close to you. But in order to begin that process, you have to have a vision. You have to see the harvest. You have to look at them through the eyes of Christ to see them with compassion. Think about that person that lives next door to you. And now think about them screaming in hell. Think about that person you worked with for 30 years. And now think about them screaming in hell. Your name. Because you could have told them and you didn't. We need to have the compassion of Christ. And we need to allow that to translate into a burden and a desire to see souls come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We have to get a vision in our hearts to see them one. And I'll tell you what, when we go forth for God, the Holy Spirit's going with us. And he'll give us the victory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for saving me. And I know that most people in this room could say that this morning as well. Thank you for saving me. But God, you didn't save us to be comfortable. You didn't save us so that we could have our quote-unquote fire insurance and live a wonderful life for the rest of our days. You've given us a tremendous life. You've given us wonderful lives. But you've also given us a tremendous responsibility and a wonderful responsibility. And that's to win others for you. And oh God, I pray that you help each one of us to take that responsibility seriously. I know each one of us sit here this morning and think of somebody that we know that's not saved. I pray that you'd help us to have the boldness to be down at an old-fashioned altar this morning and pray for that soul. I pray that you'd help, help us to have the boldness to go out from this place and give them the gospel. God, that we might see the fields reaped and souls come to know you as their Savior because of it. If you would stand at your seat.